Welcome to, as promised, another edition of the Hey Mary Kay podcast. I am Ashley Bastock, joined here, of course, by Mary Kay Cabot. So, Mary Kay, let's dive right into some of these questions. Of course, we split this into two parts. Yesterday, we talked a lot about what the Haslam's had to say out in Phoenix, as well as the Browns' defense. So today, we're going to actually start out with some questions we got about the AFC North quarterback landscape as a whole with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. So this question comes from Dave from Chicago. Hey, Mary Kay, how do you read the Lamar Jackson situation after attending the meetings? Will he be playing next year in Baltimore? And if or if so, do you have a sense of where else he might be playing? You know, I actually think that Lamar Jackson would like to be gone from Baltimore. Hard yeah. as that is to believe, it really seems like he wants to be out of there, that they did not value him. They did not give him the Deshaun Watson-like contract. And I think he's just kind of done. I think he feels like, uh, you know, it's it's a change of scenery is in order for him. And if he had his druthers, he would go somewhere else. The problem is no one is making him that blockbuster Deshaun Watson-like offer. That's what he wants. That fully guaranteed contract. It's not happening. It is kind of weird in a way. I saw a lot of players come out in uh, in defense of Lamar Jackson last night, not understanding how people can't be making him an offer. And, you know, there's talk that there's collusion and all mm-hmm. kinds of other things. So I don't know if he's got very many other options, but I will say that uh, it's a pretty dire situation right now. Yeah, well, we did actually get a question about the possibility of collusion from, I believe, Anthony in Columbus here. So, hey, Mary Kay, do you get the sense that there could be claims of collusion by Lamar against the owners? And could it just be a matter of, you know, him believing, oh, well, they're colluding against me because they don't want to, you know, have these guaranteed contracts become a thing? Well, that, you know, that could be part of it. And he, you know, Mm -hmm. he would have to file some kind of a grievance. He would probably have to, uh, you know, really make a little bit of noise about this to get the NFL to look into it, or he would have to sue. Uh, So these are all things that, you know, that are possibly on the table. And, um, you know, it's not going to get, it's not going to get pretty anytime soon between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And when you're starting off like that in the off season, it's kind of hard to pull it together during the season. I mean, we see that they are interested in Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, how can you, if you're Odell, uh, you know, get excited about signing there when you don't even know if Lamar Jackson's going to be the quarterback? Yeah, I'll throw in a couple of, I had a few other kind of questions off the top of this, because I know like thinking hypothetically, um, I'll start with my, hey, Mary Kay, do you think that Lamar Jackson's expectations for a contract in Baltimore would be as high if Deshaun Watson's contract wasn't what it was? You know, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, especially not the fully guaranteed part. But once Deshaun got that, then he wanted that too. So if Deshaun mm-hmm. had gotten a $230 million contract, but not fully guaranteed, I think that there probably would still be some hope for him in Baltimore right now. Uh, but in order for him to be back there, they're going to have to uh, come up with something to smooth over these hurt feelings. Yeah, and it's so interesting to me, like when we talk about the feelings involved in this, because we all know Lamar Jackson is kind of negotiating this in a very different way in terms of not having, being represented by an agent for a lot of this. I mean, my understanding, and you obviously have a much greater understanding of this than I do, so I want to hear your insight, but I feel like 
agents in these kind of situations can sort of act like a buffer and he just doesn't really have that buffer. So it seems like there's, it's a lot easier for feelings to get hurt in the process when you're seeing all this behind the scenes talk of like what you're supposedly worth and supposed offers and and things like that, where a lot of players don't typically see that kind of stuff. Well, that is true. I mean, there are plenty of players that let all of that um, be run through their agents and they don't have to see how the sausage is made. They just end up with this great number at the end of it all. And then there aren't all those hard feelings and all that sort of stuff. So I do think it lends another uh, layer to this of of hurt and mm-hmm. ruffled feathers and all of that. So um yeah, it's going to be hard to to smooth it over. There are certain players who are very principled, and he's he is one of them. I mean, yeah. he is a player who is very very principled. Some players take things in stride; other other players don't. And I think that uh, Lamar Jackson, just from a matter of principle, uh, he feels very slighted in all of this. And I do think it's hard to come back from that. So I do. He he needs a change of scenery. But what in the heck are the Ravens going to do at quarterback yeah. if he is gone? Right? I mean, it's so yeah. hard to imagine. Yeah, and that's why I think this is really of interest, like to Browns fans, and why we got multiple questions about this. Like, not only is it the big news around the league, but it truly does affect the Browns because it is one of the biggest things that's going to impact the AFC landscape coming up this this season one way or the other, and is Baltimore essentially going to have to start over? And I think at that point, it really, like, oh, you've talked about this, kind of opens up the race in the AFC North between Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson, in theory, if Baltimore doesn't know what's going on. I mean, it really does. I mean, there, you know, there are not a, a lot of Lamar Jacksons hanging around out there waiting for a phone call and, you know, to come in on the on the horse and save the day. I mean, what do you do? Think of how long it took for the Cleveland Browns to get what they truly believe now is that elite quarterback. Even when you think you have it, you don't have it quite often, which was the case with like a Baker Mayfield. So um, yeah, I, I don't know what rabbit they're going to pull out of a hat if if Lamar and the Ravens don't patch things up. But it is certainly a huge story for the AFC North because, uh, as you mentioned also, it can pave the way for the Browns to kind of swoop in and, you know, and try to steal the AFC North a little easier than it would have been if Lamar had been in place. Yeah, and I wanted to ask, we had one more question that I had pulled regarding Lamar Jackson, and I I thought it was particularly interesting to kind of hear your perspective on it, given just the number of quarterbacks, obviously, that you have covered, covering the Browns as long as you have. You might have better perspective on this than any other beat reporter I can think of around the country. So this one comes from the 337 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, what are your thoughts on whether Lamar is actually everything a team would need to succeed beyond the regular season? And I think this is particularly interesting given that's kind of like been a discussion around him for most of his NFL career, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, he has to prove he can get it done in the playoffs. And that might be a reason why some teams are shying away a little bit. And the other thing is you have to be 100% ready to tailor and craft an offense around Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens did that beautifully. I mean, they, for these past, you know, five years have done a tremendous job of, of building their offense and their scheme right around Lamar. And you have to be willing to do that. And it's a big change up for a lot of teams, but you know, he also has to have the talent around him. You know, they need to have some good receivers. I mean, if he comes back, you know, and they can add Odell Beckham Jr., then you're starting to talk about some kind of a formidable offense over there. Yeah. 
Uh, but, you know, right now it's just a big, huge state of flux. And that's what I'm wondering. What is like Todd Munkin thinking? Like he takes this job there. Like how do you even begin to plan until a situation like this is settled? Well, the funny part about it is, you know, Todd Munkin and Odell Beckham Jr. were in Cleveland together in that yeah. incredibly dysfunctional year of 2019. And there yeah. were there were issues. I mean, that was a, you know, Todd Munkin was caught in the middle of a lot of really bad stuff that year. And there was even a time where I think it was Odell that I have to, I'd have to go back and read and look at my stories and my notes. But uh, I think it was Odell that called for a meeting of, you know, the quarterbacks and the offensive coordinator and the receivers because there was such a disconnect and they tried to kind of clear the air, but, uh, but it, it really didn't do very much at all. And I, I wasn't ever really quite sure how Todd Munkin and Odell came out of that mm-hmm. situation in terms of, their relationship. Cause I know that there, you know, there were some issues during that time, but um, yeah, so they'd have to, you know, that's, that's something that Odell would have to look at. And, you know, hopefully for Todd Munkin, he hasn't landed in another incredibly dysfunctional NFL situation. In the AFC North, nonetheless. Um, oh, <laughs> right. All right. Let's, let's take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to get to all of your questions for Mary Kay about this Browns offense, a lot about the passing game. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, picking back up here with Mary Kay Cabot on this Hey MK edition of the Origin Brown Talk podcast. I'm Ashley Bastock. So Mary Kay, we're going to kind of switch gears now, specifically to the Browns offense. So I'm going to start with this question from Steven Medina, because I think this is a bigger picture thing that a lot of fans are curious about. And I'm going to amend it a little bit because he says, Hey, Mary Kay, with the Browns wanting to be a bit more explosive in the passing game and with a big hit on the cap, do you think Nick Chubb's days are numbered? So I think that's specific to his time in Cleveland and fans are starting to think bigger picture about that. But I'm also curious about what you think this means for his role in the offense. You know, I still think that he will be showcased and used a lot this season. I still think that Kevin Stefanski's offense and Alex Van Pelt's offense uh, is is based a lot on play action and running the ball and being very powerful in that way. And if you looked at offenses last season, you could see uh, that the running game is kind of back in vogue to a certain extent. There's a lot more running going on. Uh, it's used to sometimes set up the pass, sometimes vice versa. But I really think that, uh, you know, that Nick Chubb is going to be an incredibly integral part of the offense this year. And had they, you know, had they thought about, you know, trying to make a big trade for, you know, for someone, it was never going to involve Nick Chubb. That just never was going to happen. Now there will come a time in the very, you know, probably in the near future where they have to start to look at Nick Chubb and say, okay, how much does he have left in the tank versus how much uh, he needs to get paid? And, you know, these things don't last forever, especially with running backs. They do a good job of keeping some tread off the tires for Nick. That's very helpful. But for the most part, you know, this year, rest assured, he is a huge part of the offense. Yeah, that's like what I have kind of been thinking as well. Like, there's no way it's going to be this immediate switch from him. And I do always think about the fact, and I think about it a lot in the season when fans complain about Nick Chubb, like only getting 15 carries as opposed to 20 in certain games. And I always think like the tread on the tires thing is really important, given how running back lifespan 
works in the NFL. So um, more on the receiver room specifically with this pass offense. This comes from Jamie from Bethany, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay, with the Browns' recent wide receiver room moves, it seems like some fairly significant names are suddenly or could be on the roster bubble come September. Outside of Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Elijah Moore, how would you rank David Bell, Michael Woods, Jakeem Grant, Marquise Goodwin, and Anthony Schwartz behind them as far as their chances of making the final 53? Well, let's start with Marquise Goodwin because they just went out and signed him as a Mm. key piece of this offense for this year and a guy that is sort of their vertical stretch guy to uh, be their go route guy, I've been calling him. You know, he's the guy uh, that brings that straight line speed where, uh, you know, you're just going to go fly. And even though he's 32 years old, he can still do that. So he's going to play that role. So I think there, you know, there will be times where, uh, you know, where he will be on the field. If you if you need a matchup where you need a lot of speed, you're going to put Elijah out there. You're going to put Marquise out there and you're going to put Amari out there at times. And there, there might be times where Donovan's not on the field uh, when you have to have that big play with some speed. So, um, so I think Marquise is is going to be a key part of the offense this season. And then obviously Donovan Peoples-Jones is and, and Amari, they're 100% safe and key parts of the team. And then when you get beyond those guys, then you have to start to look at, at what kind of playing time David Bell, Michael Woods, Anthony Schwartz, and the rest of those guys are going to get. Now, Jakeem, if he can make the team, he's primarily going to be uh, you know, in the returner role that he was supposed to have last year. So I don't think they're going to feel like they need to rely on him too much on offense, although he could play that role at times if they need it. Um, David Bell, we've talked about on this pod, is someone that we're all looking at and thinking, you know, hopefully David can carve out a niche for himself and a role and take that step up in his second year and get himself on the field. But if you've got, um, you know, I think Elijah Moore is going to cut into those reps some for David Bell, because even though Kevin Stefanski talked about the fact that he can do everything, uh, he can also play in the slot. So he might have to, David might have to give up some of those slot reps to Elijah Moore so that they can get their best and fastest and brightest receivers on the field at the same time. Uh, The other guys, now the other thing to to remember here is, once again, the Browns don't necessarily draft for this year or even next year. Sometimes they're drafting for a couple years down the road. So you've got guys in the pipeline. So if Michael Woods can continue to develop, if Dalen Baldwin can continue to develop, Anthony Schwartz has something to prove this year. Not sure how that's going to go. Um, but these are are players that as you move along, you're going to look ahead and see that, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones can be an unrestricted free agent after this year. And if they don't want to pay him what he can get out there on the open market, then you funnel another guy in there. You know, you you can take a, a Michael Woods and see if he can get done what Donovan got done for you at a much cheaper price because you have to watch the budget now. You've really mm-hmm. got to watch the budget, right? And Elijah Moore, I mean, He's cheap as heck right now. That's one of the reasons that why this was a great trade and a great move. You didn't have to go out and sign an Odell Beckham Jr. for $10 million a year, or $11 million or $12 million or whatever he was going to want from the Cleveland Browns. Um, but, you know, they got Elijah at a bargain. So you have to watch your pennies. You have to watch your pennies. And when Amari starts to get too expensive for the age and the production, you know, so it's a balancing act that they have to do. And some of these guys will end up on the practice squad this year. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, especially a guy like Anthony Schwartz, like I keep coming back to and thinking like, it just almost seems like inevitable to me because I don't know 
what role some of these guys can fill that's like a niche role that they need. I think Anthony's best chance might be special teams. Like if you're looking between him and David Bell, I think he played more special teams than David Bell last year. Um, But I agree with you. Like I don't get the sense that they're ready to give up on guys like David Bell or Michael Woods. Like they kind of need some time maybe to just still develop them, see what they might be. And they solved their problem that they needed to immediately solve right now. And Jakeem Grant's the other interesting one to me, because I think last year, you know, we talked about this a lot. It seemed like they had set aside a roster spot for him as more, like you said, of that returner kind of roster spot, with which a lot of teams don't do that. It felt like the Browns did, and it felt like we were going to see him a lot in the offense, maybe more than we expected, of course, until he got hurt. So I think a guy like that, too, it's kind of in flux. He would have been great last year, but now coming off an Achilles, he's a little bit older. Who knows? So it's definitely going to be interesting, those kind of position battles in that room. Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski told you guys this week at the meetings, like, they they want that to be successful or to be, you know, competition. And I think Mm -hmm. we're going to see that. So besides the pass catchers, let's move to the quarterback room because we actually got some non-Deshaun Watson questions and I thought that would be interesting, an interesting way to kind of kick off the quarterback talk here. So this question comes from Molly in Lindhurst who wants to know, does Kellen Mond have a chance to beat out Joshua Dobbs for QB number two? They picked him up the day after Minnesota cut him last year in August and kept him on the 53-man roster the entire season while removing Josh Dobbs as soon as Watson became available. Well, it was a little bit of a strategic thing that they had to do Mm -hmm. uh, with Josh Dobbs and Kellen Mond because Josh was not going to be under contract at the end of the season and Kellen Mond was going to be. And Josh Dobbs wanted to have an opportunity to explore his options and see if any other opportunities came up. So, you know, he was able to do that. You know, he looked around a little bit. And, uh, you know, this proved to be the best place for him. But I really think that they signed him to be the number two quarterback. That's what the plan is right now. And I don't think that Kellen Mond is going to beat him out. I don't think that's the plan. I think it actually worked out for the best because when Josh Dobbs uh, was let go and left here and went to Tennessee, he actually started two NFL games. And those are the only two starts of his career. So now there's some tape. You can see what he can do in a game. And if he gets thrown in there this year, it's not going to be the first time he's ever started an NFL game. He'll have some sense of the speed of a real game and, uh, I mean, he had a little bit of a sense of it before, but he's he's started and played two full games last season. So um, Kellen Mond is here as a good developmental quarterback, but he is not going to beat out Josh Dobbs. Yeah, I think a lot of like looking at NFL news, typically when you see somebody is cut or released, it you look at it as a bad thing. But I really think the Josh Dobbs situation last year was a win-win for both of these parties because the Browns get to keep another guy who they really they seem to like as that developmental kind of guy in Kellen Mond. And you get Josh Dobbs to come back anyway. I mean, I suppose it was a little gamble in case Josh Dobbs went and became like a Brock Purdy sort of sensation after he left and got to start those couple of games. But obviously that didn't happen and it worked out in the Browns favor. Um, So another question that we got about backups in this case, the former Browns backup from Kevin in Loveland, Colorado wanted to know that the commanders signed Jacoby for a one-year deal, about $8 million. I realize he wants to start, but I've seen reports that they are also high on Sam Howell. Um, Shouldn't the Browns have been able to figure out a way to lure him back? And I I kind of thought that it it really did for Jacoby probably come down to the starting. And I'm curious what, what your opinion on that is. 
Yeah, and he got a nice amount of money too. He mm-hmm. he got a nice contract. Uh, I think he can make up to I thought it was like eight million dollars or something like that, which is that's a lot of money. That is yeah. that's somewhere between backup and starter. So it's sort of like a bridge quarterback money. And maybe that's what they're thinking, that he can come in there and start for the first, you know, maybe five, six games of the season, let Sam Howell kind of ease his way in. I mean, but who knows? I think for them, it will come down to what happens in training camp. I think they're going to, one or the other is going to have to rise to the top and and kind of plant their flag and say, no, I'm going to be the starter. Uh, so it's an opportunity for Jacoby and that's what he wanted. He does not want to, he's not ready to be put out to pasture and he is going to a place where he feels he has an opportunity to play. Even if Sam Howell starts the season, it doesn't mean that it's going to work out really well. You know, maybe, maybe he gets benched and they take Jacoby off the bench and throw him in there and off he rides into the sunset. So that wasn't going to happen for him here. And he knew that he was, there was no way that he had a chance to play here unless Deshaun Watson gets hurt. And so this was just his chance to go play. Yeah, I always think with Jacoby Brissett, it can't be understated how important even just that possibility of having a chance to start is. And I think that really hit home for me when we heard him talk after that week one Carolina start and the way how emotional he got. Like he just really knows that in the NFL, your days are numbered, your chances to start are numbered. And I think even if it's not a 100% chance to start, if you're looking at oh, I have like a 2% chance to start in Cleveland, and it's only if Deshaun Watson gets hurt. And I'm entering a maybe a potential quarterback battle in Washington. Like, I'm not surprised that he went with the quarterback battle at that point. It's, a, it's the perfect role for him, right? Yeah. I and mean, it's, it's a perfect role because it's sort of like the Josh McCown role where, you know, he's he's a great enough guy to be that really good mentor for a young player like Sam Howell. But by the same token, he gets his chance uh, to get back out there and prove to the world that he can start and win some football games. So I actually think it's the perfect storm. All right, two more questions here really quickly. Let's go back to the running back room. Um, it's, again, Molly from Lindhurst who asked our, our last question here, but I thought this was interesting too because looking at depth, assuming you know Kareem Hunt and obviously Dearness Johnson are now gone, do you think the Browns are going to try to draft or get another running back through free agency? You know what? Maybe they will. They they can mm-hmm. draft one late. You know, it's a position yeah. where it's not a premium position and it's not hard to go out and find a good running back somewhere. It's just not hard. Now, it's it's hard to go out and find a Nick Chubb, but it's not really all that hard to go out and find another Dearness Johnson who he just wanted an opportunity. He probably mm-hmm. just did not want to languish on the bench here again. Um I don't see Kareem Hunt coming back here, but you can, once again, he's in the never say never category. If you're still out there and you can be had at a bargain basement price and you want to come back and Nick wants him back and all of those things happen, you know, and anything can still happen in that regard. So I, you know, I just, I wouldn't completely rule it out. I never felt like it was front burner or something that was, you know, really realistically going to happen, but the longer it goes, you just never know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking the other day. Like the longer Kareem Hunt still, we don't have a definitive answer on him going somewhere else. Like knowing what his relationship is like with Nick Chubb at the very least, even if maybe he was a little disenfranchised with how he was used in the offense the last year or so, knowing what that relationship is like, I just wonder if Nick would have that influence on him. And and just the thought of being able to play with Nick again and obviously play for your hometown team again, if once he tests the waters and feels 
some sense of closure there maybe if it might wind up being this never say never kind of possibility. So, all right, let's close out with, I know you guys, I know Paxton Styles from Chevrolet, Maryland is one of the regular HayMK question givers. So I have to give him the last word here on this episode. So Paxton says, hey, Mary Kay, in your opinion, excluding the Watson trade, what was the biggest and or most significant Browns acquisition you have ever seen? You can include your time before you were a reporter covering the team, if you would like. You know what? I'm going to say Odell Beckham Jr. I'm just going to go right off the top of my head. And, you know, I didn't really give this, you know, a ton of thought. Like I said, I just went with the first thing that came to my mind. And but the reason I say that is because he's larger than life. He is larger than life. Even when he showed up at the NFL owners meetings on Tuesday, I mean, it's just like, you know, like LeBron walking in, you know, he is just, he is a superstar. So they went out and they grabbed a superstar and it was, you know, it was just a, a, it was a very fun thing to cover. And it's so unfortunate that it didn't work out because It should have been, it should have been great. And it would have been very interesting to see Deshaun Watson and Odell Beckham Jr. play together um, because to come here and have it work out the way that it did and flop miserably with Baker Mayfield was, it was just unfortunate. You can't bring in a superstar like that and then just not have it work and not do everything you can to make it work. Yeah, Odell was the first one that came to my mind in my lifetime, just because he does have that star power that I think you you don't see a lot of guys be able to command that. And it really is remarkable, kind of, I think, the way just on that level that he has been able to do that and and how many fans he has across the league. Like, it, it did bring a lot of attention, I think, back then. The only other one I was wondering about, and, and like, just because I remember, like, my friends in the discussion around it was drafting Johnny Manziel. Like, there was so much buildup to whether or not they were going to take Johnny and the kind of roundabout way they went about to get him. And, of course, all the drama that followed. Like, that was the other one in my mind that kind of popped up. Yeah, it's so amazing to look back in the, at that and realize how, um, you know, how he was a legend in his own mind, for sure, yeah. uh, during, <laughs> during, during that time, but um, but also just how larger than life he was. I mean, the circus came to town when when Johnny was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, and it's just you know I knew right away that he was a train wreck. I could tell after that you know the first <laughs> within the first week of training camp. Uh, I remember they got the um, you know their first day they gave him off. You know, he was, he, he couldn't get to the bar fast enough on the, like he, 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 like within an hour after they like let them have two hours off, he was at the bar and uh, it, you, you just knew that something was off with Johnny Manziel right from the start. And I got pushback on that. A lot of pushback on that. I got a lot of grief for trying to capture the fact that there's something gravely wrong here. But, you yeah. know, that was that was a period of time where, you know, I had to cover, I called them the juvenile Jays. Uh, yes. Joe, Joe Thomas amended that on our podcast and called them the jackass Jays. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Such a good line. Yeah. But yeah, that was a that was a crazy period of time. But yes, Johnny brought with him that element of sort of, you know, that superstar Pied Piper kind of everybody's going to yeah. like wants to see what's going on with him. And uh, of course, it turned out to be much ado about nothing. Yeah, I, I have a group of friends from home that I watch the draft with every year. They have a big party. It's like it really is. They get so into it. They probably know more about the draft than me. And it's my job. And they were so excited at the possibility of landing Johnny Manziel that they pulled out Monopoly 
and pulled out all the money from Monopoly and were just sitting there with the Monopoly money. And when the pick finally came down, they threw it up in the air like confetti. And one of my friends ran around the block. And we all know how that worked out. So he doesn't like when I tell that story, but because it is very embarrassing now, but it is kind of fitting for Johnny Mansell's tenure in Cleveland, I think. Yeah, it was it was something else. It really, really was. Uh, one of these days, I'll have to try to catch up with Johnny and get get him on the pod sometime and just uh, have a hash it out and have have a laugh over the good old days that we had together. Yes. Well, all right. We will be back with another episode of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast before this podcast that I definitely want to hear at some point in the future. That is a great podcast pitch, Johnny Manziel, if you were listening. Um, But until then, head over to cleveland.com slash Browns, where you can find all of our great coverage over there. Read everything by Mary Kay over there as well. Um, You'll see the blue banner at the top of the page. You're going to want to click on that. That makes you a Football Insider subscriber. Um, You get access to all the subscriber exclusive content on the site with that way. You also get a become a subtext subscriber. Well, you'll get texts from Mary Kay, Dan and I, um, all about the insider news happening around the Browns. You're especially going to want to do that as the draft gets closer and closer. So, all right, Mary Kay, this has been great. Dan will be back to host these next week, everyone. So until then, I will talk to you later. Sounds great.